Welcome to the Radical Remission Project Stories That Heal podcast. My name is Kelly A. Turner, and I'm a PhD cancer researcher, New York Times bestselling author of Radical Remission and Radical Hope, and the founder of the Radical Remission Project. In this podcast, it is our honor to bring you inspiring healing stories directly from radical remission survivors themselves, as well as from the amazing doctors and healers they work with. Welcome to this episode of the Radical Remission Project Stories That Heal podcast. We are so excited to introduce you to our guest today, Dr. Lindsay Bean. Lindsay is a public health specialist with over 35 years of experience in designing service delivery systems, ensuring quality assurance, grant writing, and program development. Dr. Bean is also the author of Embracing the Dragon. One Mother's Relentless Search for Healing and Hope, a memoir about her son's health challenges and recovery. The healing story that Lindsay is going to share with us today is about her younger son, Russell, born in 1992 and diagnosed with spina bifida, a neural tube defect at birth, which was surgically corrected at five weeks. Then Russell was subsequently diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, a progressive, fatal, incurable disease of the endocrine system at just eight months of age. This, the second of their double whammies, and the prediction that her son would be sick, get sicker, and die as a teen or young adult, motivated Lindsay to explore alternative healing. During his first few years, with the help of five seasoned practitioners, an acupuncturist, homeopathist, nutritionist, osteopath, and herbal medicine doc, her son nearly fully recovered by the age of four. Today, by all accounts and against all odds and predictions, he is fine. Her son Russell is now almost 31 years old, six feet tall, 180 pounds, employed full-time, working on his second master's degree, and active with tennis and hiking. In short, he leads a normal life now with a normal life expectancy. Welcome, Lindsay. We're so glad you're here to tell Russell's story, your story of how you helped Russell. So glad you're here. Let's start with you telling us briefly about the diagnosis, what what, what Russell was diagnosed with, how and when, and, and then let's we'll get into the factors that helped him heal. Well, good morning, Carla. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on this wonderful, wonderful show that you and Liz have. Um, sure, I'm uh, happy to talk about any part of this that you like. Um, in terms of his diagnosis, you really encapsulated it very well. He was diagnosed with spina bifida. Um, literally, he was less than 24 hours old. And um, fortunately, it was a very mild form of spina bifida. Typically, spina bifida is very severe and disabling. But in his case, they were able to do corrective surgery on his spinal cord when he was five weeks old. And of course, after he started recovering from his surgery, we assumed that was that was it. You know, that that was the the big thing that we'd have to cope with. But Following his surgery, he started to manifest a whole range of symptoms uh, that were very strange, 
clearly unrelated to his surgery, unrelated to spina bifida. Um, he had chronic ear infections, chronic cough. Um, he had steatorrhea, which is a very severe form of diarrhea where the food essentially goes in one end and comes out the other with no metabolism or processing of the food. Um, I nursed him constantly, probably three, four times, even during the, the night. And um, things like his skin color changed, his hair color changed. I mean, it just was a very strange assortment of symptoms. And I complained to everybody, the pediatrician, the whole spina bifida team, um, family, et cetera. And people were really, um, they wanted to reassure me, you know, he'd just been through this big scare with spina bifida and the corrective surgery was, was successful, et cetera. Um, but I knew something was terribly wrong. And um, in the January, so by January, he was about five months old. We changed pediatricians because of changing health insurance. And this new pediatrician was a lot more observant and uh, took my concerns very seriously and started to suspect that he had cystic fibrosis because of his um, his symptoms, which included, by the way, a, a huge amount of salt on the skin because he sweat abnormally um, in terms of volume. And then he would have like this crystallized salt on his skin, which was um, a clear sign if, you know, if we'd known what we were looking for, but we had no idea that CF ran in the family. It, it's a genetic disease and he inherited um, mutations from both me and his father. That's, that's how CF works. Um, so, uh, she, at eight months, by eight months, we had another, uh, pediatric appointment and she decided, you know, he hasn't grown enough. She diagnosed him with failure to thrive and said we needed to take him to children's hospital to be tested for CF. That must've been so scary. You know, it's interesting. My reaction to a CF diagnosis was not, well, let's just say I wasn't aware of the fear. I was infuriated. Mm -hmm. I was so angry. You know, I just thought, how dare you? And who am I speaking to? I don't know the gods, the universe, something, but how dare you threaten my son twice? Um, I was, but the anger motivated me, gave me energy instead of um, fear, which might've, you know, depressed my energy and, and uh, just made me give in, give up, uh, which I did not do. Good for you. So you took him then to the specialists and they did a thorough diagnosis of the CF? Yes, uh, he had a sweat test, which is the diagnostic test. It measures how much uh, salt is in your sweat. Um, and then eventually, because they were just learning about the, the mutations, they're now well over, I don't know, there might be as many as a thousand. There are hundreds of mutations that um, result in cystic fibrosis. So they were classifying the mutations in terms of mild and severe and so on. So they wanted to do DNA testing on all four of us, actually. Um, and what it proved is that he received the mutation that I carried. He received the mutation that um, his father carried and that our other son carried only the mutation of his father. And so he's a carrier, but he he didn't manifest CF. Um, so, yes, it was a very, very thorough. Um, and we, of course, had to meet a whole new team at the hospital, you know, learn a whole nother wing at the hospital. And um, yeah, that was, <laughs> it, it's, it's exhausting. The whole yeah. thing of diagnosis and 
you know, just trying to understand. I had had no medical background at all at that point in my life. I was not focused on public health. I was no sort of clinician. I knew nothing about how the body worked. So I had to go up a very, uh, I wouldn't say quick, it took me years, but I had to go up a very steep learning curve just to know yeah. what we were dealing with. Sure. Most people, as they get a diagnosis, really do have to go through, yeah. you know, medical training 101 to start yeah. to figure out what yes. they're dealing with and, and how best to approach it. So, Indeed. so it sounds like you took that anger, though, and channeled it into advocating for your son. Tell us a little bit about um, the, the top three healing factors. I know you are familiar with radical remission and you've used all 10 of those healing factors as you um, advocated for Russell and helped him through this. But give us one or two, three that are really stand out for you as big helpers along the way for Russell's health. Well, uh, that's a really interesting question because it, I can relate to all of the factors in, in radical remission. Um, but of course, my son was a baby when he was very, very sick and first diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. Um, so there, there are some things that perhaps I was his proxy, if you will. Um, just, you know, I'm thinking about releasing negative emotions and increasing positive emotions. You know, I, I, when we went to the hospital, I would fill a diaper bag full of, you know, diapers, of course, but also toys and snacks and juice and, you know, anything. And there was no internet then. This mm. was 1993. There was no internet. So there were no iPhones, there were no iPads or lap, uh, laptops or anything. I was his, you know, I was his entertainment mm -hmm. and I didn't want him crawling on the floor at the hospital because of germs. I didn't want him playing with other toys because of germs, et cetera. So, you know, I, I brought the three ring circus with me. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I was very, very determined that, that he wouldn't be held back by this diagnosis and that, um, you know, I knew eventually he would find out about the diagnosis. And by the time he did, he was in, probably late middle school. And of course, there was the internet by then. And, uh, you know, he researched it himself. But I didn't want him to be, um, you know, discouraged by any of this. And as, of course, as a little baby, that wouldn't have happened, um, because he didn't understand what anybody was talking about. But um, so I guess in terms of the, the radical remission factors, um, the first one I would say that was most important in our case was following my intuition as his mother. Um, I, I understood very shortly after, you know, reading and educating myself about, um, you know, the endocrine system, the respiratory system, the GI system, all of that. I mean, I became quite the, you know, amateur expert, if you will. Um, <laughs> So I just, I, I refused to accept this life sentence. And I thought there's got to be other information out there. So I started by, um, you know, there, again, there was no internet. So uh, what I did is I went to bookstores. I looked through books. I looked at magazines. Eventually I found the National Library of Medicine in Bethesda and um, went through as many entries as I could. Of course, I hadn't been through grad school yet, so I didn't really know how to read these peer-reviewed articles and studies and so on. But I learned 
um, you know, just looking for something, looking for hope somewhere. And I, as he got older, I started to specialize in HIV in my professional life. And I knew that in Japan, for example, they were using mushrooms to treat HIV because of its, um, because of mushrooms impact to uh, on the on the immune system. So I thought, okay, well, let's go to other countries. You know, let's see what else is out there. Who's using what? Well, eventually, um, my uh, ex-husband, Russell's father, um, got connected to an acupuncturist. And so with the alternative healing, we started with acupuncture. And I, it really was a leap of faith for me. I had had acupuncture in my 20s to deal with uh, ridiculous menstrual cramps due to the Dalcon shield, which people may remember. Um, and... Uh, so I wasn't afraid of acupuncture, but the thought of sticking needles in a baby seemed a little bit odd. And he took to it. He didn't mind it. He was very happy to see the acupuncturist. She was very sweet, very gentle with him. She only treated him on one side of his body. Usually there are symmetrical treatments on both sides of the body, but she'd treat him with one tiny children's needle on one side. And um, his his recuperation after an acupuncture treatment was almost automatic. It was amazing. Wow. Didn't last long, you know, might last a day or two. And then he started to decline again. He was very, very sick with all these symptoms, but over a year's time, um, it got to the point where it would last and it would last between the three weeks between acupuncture treatments. And, um, so it just, you know, it gave me a lot of confidence that these alternative approaches were working and that my intuition that his little body could heal itself, that that was true, even though the doctors didn't believe it. They were very wedded to the prognosis. They, you know, I was told when he was first diagnosed, I was told over and over what you, um, what you said in, in the bio part that, you know, he, he's going to get sick, he's going to get sicker. He's going to get lung damage that's irreversible, and eventually he will die of lung failure. And I was told that over and over and over until one day I kind of I had it. And I said, I don't want to ever hear that again. I said, I heard that the first time, and it really embedded in my brain, but do right. not bring that up again. And, you know, it's things like that. That gets into um, taking taking charge, really. You, you, you may not have control over everything, but you can certainly take charge and you can start to direct the conversations of how they're going to go. You know, after all, if it's you that's sick, it's you. <laughs> you know, you're you're on stage. If your baby's sick or your child's sick, they're on stage and and they are the main character of this horrendous play that you're in. Um, but I think that it's really important to, um, you know, to work on your own attitude, making it as positive as possible, given dire circumstances and decide for yourself, you know, what, what's going to happen here? Is he going to die young? You know, is he going to die at age 12? Is he going to die at 18? You know, am I going to be absolutely heartbroken? What's happening? And I decided, no, he's not. He's going to live to be 90. And that's that. <laughs> it was sort of, you know, non-negotiable. And, um, you know, sometimes it meant that that I was in disagreement with the doctors. That's okay if that's what has to happen. So I say intuition, taking control. Um, we started with acupuncture. That led to us. Um, I, I then found a, a homeopath who was a 
um, a medical doctor, an MD, and a pediatrician, and trained as a homeopath. She was absolutely wonderful. She knew quite a bit about CF because she had done her residency at Children's Hospital. You know, all these amazing serendipity, these coincidences, which I guess are not coincidences, they tend to happen. Um, and uh, she, she said, you really need to focus on nutrition. This is a key fundamental piece of cystic fibrosis. So she introduced me to a nutritionist and the hospital had a nutritionist on the team, but this woman was different. She was younger. She was more open-minded. She was learning about cutting edge um, aspects. She actually knew about antibiotics being um, kind of a double-edged sword that you, you may need them, but you don't want to get... Um, you know, you don't want to build resistance and uh, that it can deplete the body of good bacteria, et cetera. So she did all kinds of things. Um, she did things that I was dead set against, like taking him off dairy mm. um, because dairy causes mucus. And now everybody knows that. But back mm. then it was kind of a radical idea. You know, this was 30 years ago. Um, she did other things like um, she had a special pharmacy right next to NIH in Bethesda, put together a combination of vitamins and minerals and um and she well she really she knew quite a lot um we're still in touch with her by the way she knew quite a lot um she had him take uh, a, a specific chinese tea um she started to give him homeopathic cell salts even though she was not a homeopath the cell salts that that uh boy run makes um are um, they will rebuild the electrolytes and having low electrolytes is also a, a classic symptom of cystic fibrosis is very dangerous. And electrolytes are, are like having your ignition go out in your car. Mm -hmm. And um, they're absolutely key to the function of muscles. And of course, your heart is a muscle. So very important to have the electrolytes be balanced. Um, and, you know, the nutritionist at the hospital who was a very lovely woman said, you know, feed him everything you can, high calorie, high fat, everything that you and I are not supposed to eat. I thought that doesn't make any sense. You know, I want him to live beyond clogged arteries and beyond, you know, that it just didn't make sense to me. So this nutritionist was totally different. He started eating avocado. He started eating a lot of eggs. He started um, getting very healthy forms of salt for example, from kelp and things like that. So diet was very, very important. Um, we then, by you know sheer miracle of the universe, ended up being connected to an osteopath, a very elderly gentleman. He was 93 when we, when we went to see him through my sister who had moved to Missouri and she met his protege. And um, we were invited to call this amazing man. His name is Robert Fulford. He's actually mentioned in Andrew Weil's book, Spontaneous Healing. He was uh, one of Andrew's heroes. Um, and so we went out to Ohio at one point. I took the two boys and um, he gave Russell a treatment. He, he was an amazing man. He was very calm, man of few words, did what he did. And for the first time, he it, it, that anybody had suggested any connection he said well probably when they did the surgery on his spinal cord they shifted his sacrum without obviously without meaning to and that triggered so now we're talking epigenetics that this man fully understood 30 years ago that triggered it's kind of set off 
the cystic fibrosis mutation, which had not had, you know, it, it had not manifested at all until after Russell's surgery. And I remember checking with people just to confirm that I wasn't making that up in my head. It was absolutely true. And um, so, so, you know, I thought, okay, if, if, the, if putting sacrums out of place makes CF manifest, putting the sacrum back in place, what does that do? You know, right. be cured, you know? <laughs> so anyway, um, I talked to his protege after the visit for, for a long time and um, became very hopeful because he said, I, you know, this is, Dr. Fulford was the type of doctor that people would go to when there was nothing else that could be done. They were in wheelchairs, they were crippled, they were in late stage disease and they would go see him and he was a hands-on healer. And people would, you know, literally walk out of his office. And, you know, these kinds of stories, people hear them and think, oh, come on, you know, this is too far-fetched. It's not possible. But I'll tell you, after Russell had his treatment, <laughs> he started a habit at, in the evening at bedtime. He would jump up on my big bed where, you know, I would read the boys' stories at night. And he started jumping around playing this invisible electric guitar, which he'd had no exposure to, and singing, yelling at the top of his lungs. And his brother and I would just stare at him like, what happened? You know, What did this doctor do to Russell? And after a few days, I finally said, okay, Russell, that, let's not do this at bedtime, please. And, um, you know, sort of jokingly threatened to take him back to Dr. Fulford so he could undo what he did. But he just was so full of energy. Oh, that's and so great. that's what happened over time. Once Russell started getting all of these different treatments, he turned into a happy, um, you know, really joyful, goofy. He has this still the silliest sense of humor and, um, you know, just full of energy. He never missed school. He went out for sports. He played basketball. Um, he still does play basketball. He plays tennis. He goes for walks every day. Um, he does exercises to stretch out his back. You know, he's just, he's awesome. That's excellent. <laughs> he's I awesome. love that. How great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so one more thing, if I may. Sure. Um, I also was very committed to trying herbal medicine. Mm. So people should know, I, it's not as if I had a plan, right? It's not as if I found a book that said, okay, here are the five steps you need to take to, to you know, take your son to recovery. I just was desperate. I was trying this and trying that. And sometimes like the uh, homeopath connecting me to the nutritionist, you know, my sister connecting me to the osteopath, sometimes that would happen. Um, and he got better and better and better and better, but it wasn't enough. You know, mm -hmm. I just felt like this. In fact, that's, that's one of the reasons that the book is called Embracing the Dragon, because um, because this disease, it, it is a disease of the endocrine system, late stage diseases in the lungs. So a lot of people recognize it as a respiratory disease, but it's it's really a full body assault. And, um, you know, just started to appear to me like a dragon, you know, something that I, I, I couldn't possibly match in terms of intensity or power or what have you. Um, and, you know, in terms of radical remission, I think cancer has the same kind of power. You know, it's a scary word. It's a scary diagnosis, especially if you've got the bad kind or the fast acting kind or late stage diagnosis or what have you. Right. And that's how I felt. And I just thought, OK, well, 
Um, you know, if I'm fighting a dragon, I better put on my armor and get a pretty darn good sword, you know, borrow it from King Arthur and, um, you know, slay the dragon. So I did want to try herbal medicine, and I did eventually find an herbalist who was a nurse. And it, it was always interesting to me when I had a practitioner who was sort of doubly trained, both in conventional Western medicine and also in alternative healing. So she was a um, she was an RN. And she had done her training in Australia and actually worked in a hospital in the wing that treated children with cystic fibrosis. So she was very familiar with cystic fibrosis. I mean, I mean, this happened over and over in our in our journey. It was just wow, amazing. That is so great. Like you said, the universe just leading. The universe you. provides. You know, if you if you are open to it and. She, so she her herbal training was both Western and Eastern because in Australia, you know, they're right close to Asia and they're very um, influenced by Asian um, Asian culture and and healing arts and so on. And um, so she made these she cooked up these individualized tonics for him, one for his immune system, one for his respiratory system. So, you know, it was, it was quite interesting as a little one. All of this happened before he was about. I'd say two and a half, you know, trying to get him to ingest all of these things was quite the challenge, right? I, I would get the 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 most disgusting baby food I could find that was like, you know, 50 grams of sugar or something just to cover the taste. And then I'd open all the capsules and and poke a pin in a in a gel cap for vitamin E or whatever I was giving him and mix it all together. And every once in a while, I would forget what I was doing. And I'd lick the spoon thinking, ooh, the apricots will taste good. And it was the most disgusting thing I had ever tasted <laughs> in my life. And yet he took it down. Aww. He never, ever, ever spit it out. He never rejected. I mean, I think that as a baby, he intuitively knew that all of these things were helping him. Mm. And I don't know how that works because he was a baby and, you know, cognition wise, he couldn't possibly have, have understood that. But, right. um, but intuitively, I think you're right. I mean, sure. Looking for a thoughtful, heartfelt gift for someone with cancer? The Radical Remission Project has partnered with woman-led small business Rest and Heal to create lovely care packages for you to send. They feature the Radical Remission and Radical Hope books alongside natural wellness products, all of which are non-toxic and sourced from women-owned, Black-owned, and New York State businesses. We know our community is passionate about spreading the radical remission healing factors, and these care packages are a great way to get knowledge into the hands of those who need it most. Visit restandheal.com forward slash shop to purchase or learn more. That's restandheal.com forward slash shop. Being diagnosed with a serious health challenge can be emotional and overwhelming. At Radical Remission, we believe no one needs to face a diagnosis alone. Our certified health coaches work one-on-one -on -one or in small groups to support people living with a diagnosis to integrate the 10 healing factors of Radical Remission. Our team of coaches include national board certified health coaches, doctors, nurses, and other medical practitioners, as well as mental health providers. Our coaches meet each person where they are on their healing journey to offer support, accountability, and goal setting in a positive manner. 
Check out RadicalRemission.com to find your health coach and connect with them to learn more about what it might look like to work together. See the show notes for links to find a coach on RadicalRemission.com. You know, if I had advice to give people, it would be, um, you know, to, to, to be a peer, to be a colleague of the doctors. You're not under their control. Mm-hmm. They're certainly not under your control either. But, mm-hmm. um, but you are in charge of your life. You're in charge of all of your life decisions, including your health care. And unfortunately, still in 2023, many of the conventionally trained doctors are not open to, you know, approaches that they themselves haven't studied. And they may have heard of acupuncture being great for back pain, but they wouldn't think that it would, you know, be some kind of systemic, have some kind of systemic um, positive impact on, on your body, which it certainly does. Yeah, Um, yeah, definitely. So that's important. And then to trust your intuition. If something doesn't sound right, if something doesn't gel with with what you believe or what you trust or what you've just learned, you know, question it. I questioned the doctors like crazy. I took a long time in every appointment. I don't care. I probably had a terrible reputation. Oh, God, here she comes again. I don't care. (laughs) It didn't matter. Right. It was your child. he, He was my child and I was you know, feeling very maternal and protective of him. But I think if, if you're the one that's sick, you have to be protective of yourself. Yeah. And that's not easy when you don't feel well, but it's an important role. And you may find that, you know, it even empowers you. So I guess um, if I were going to look at the list of, of radical remission factors, there are a couple that um, that I learned about sort of later, you know, mm-hmm. down, years down the road. One was social support. I had very little social support. I'm fortunate to have a sister whom I adore, and um, she was a great support. My mother was a great support for a few years, but she died um, of lung cancer uh, after a lifetime of smoking. Um, But you need support. And I had a terrible marriage, and my marriage broke up when Russell was just shy of three. So I was a single mom with two boys, and um, I was really hesitant to share my story with people. I just thought people would think I was making it up or that I was complaining and whining or I don't know, you know, it goes back to childhood stuff that I just couldn't admit. I'm I'm floundering here. I need help. I need you to hug me. I need you to love me. I need you to, you know, share the burden of my kids or whatever. So I think that's, you know, social support is is so important. Um, and the spiritual business I got to that later too. I went into therapy. Um, therapy may not sound spiritual, but in my case, um, changed my life completely. I started therapy when I was 60 and now I'm 70. And those 10 years of therapy have changed my future completely. Um, and I've also been doing um, yoga and meditation and walking and so on. Um, I'm not a terribly religious person, but you know, if somebody is, I know that 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 can be very helpful. Right. Um, and then the last factor is having reasons for living. Well, what do children have? They they have a you know they have such. Um, oh, I'm going to start talking French if I'm not careful. Um, but joie de vivre, you know, they just they want to live. They're they're that's what they do, right? Yeah. They come out. And they're they're alive. Right. Life is just a unfolding, you know, exciting experience for them. And right. 
that was my son, even though he was sick. And I encouraged it and, um, you know, never treated him like a special needs child ever. Yeah. Never, uh, never had to, <laughs> as a matter of fact, um, because he did, he did recover that's, so thoroughly. Yeah, that's great. Well, and I can see how, you know, such a young child, you know, would be so attached to mom, right? So energetically, whatever mom is experiencing, baby is too. So as you lived your strong reason for living and and took on that dragon and and actually won that battle, um, you know, that energetically transferred to to Russell. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Russell now, because what you've told me and what I read about in your book, it sure sounds like Russell is doing a lot of this on his own, right? Like he's, he's living his best life. And, you know, going back to exercise, you mentioned his hiking and basketball and all those things. So that's a part of his daily life, it sounds like, and, and good habits. So tell us a little bit more. Well, when he was a baby and we first started these treatments, it was, um, you know, it's all under my control and uh, he just went along with it. He did sure. whatever I asked him to do and, you know, starting with acupuncture and then all these nutritional supplements and, you know, homeopathic remedies and osteopathic treatments and herbal tonics and so on and so forth. He, he was, it, it was just part of life. It was part of daily, it was routine. And even the treatments, you know, the acupuncture and osteopathy and so on, it was just routine. And so it, it definitely embedded in him. And he questioned it when, you know, as he got older, he would question. Um, I have a little incident in the book where I say that I discovered it, it, he was maybe, oh, five. And um, I had left the room for just a second and came back into the kitchen. And he said, bye, mom, you know, I'm done with dinner. And I looked in the trash can. <laughs> his plate was sitting right next to the trash can, a little suspicious. And sure enough, there was the rest of his dinner. He had not finished his dinner and all his pills. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, how often has he been doing this? Mm -hmm. So he was around five and I had to sit him down and say, look, sweetie, you know, cystic fibrosis, you have a, a condition. I didn't call it a disease. Um, you have a condition called cystic fibrosis. And some children are very, very sick with this with this condition, you're not. And it's kind of tricky for you because these pills and all the different things that I'm giving you are what keep you healthy. So your challenge in life is not gonna be, you know, weathering the storm of symptoms, but your challenge in life is gonna be to focus on your health and to do all that you need to do to stay healthy. I mean, he's only five. I don't know how much of that he understood, but he did confess, you know, he had thrown his pills out more than once and he said he'd never do it again. And I don't believe he ever has, you know, he's, he's turning 31 in a week and he has this gigantic pill, you know, 30 must be 31 days worth pill box. And he fills it out, you know, once a month, he goes and puts all of his vitamins and minerals. And um, if he's taking mushrooms or, you know, whatever other supplements he may be taking. And by the way, he's still in touch with Kelly Dorfman, our nutritionist, who's just uh -huh. fabulous. And you know, so thrilled that he's doing so well. Um, and we do that because she updates what he's taking, you know, does he need to be taking all this or not? Um, and uh, yeah, he, he just, he takes really good care of himself. He eats salad every day. 
He's, so he's um, got a good, healthy diet. Not good, healthy diet. Well, he went. He went vegan. He lived in California, <laughs> not to blame the state, but he lived. He did AmeriCorps in California for a year, and for some reason, he got into this vegan diet, which I have a lot of respect for. But it really scared me because he needs a lot of protein, and he had already, always been a very serious carnivore, um, and it didn't hurt his health. But the nutritionist then said, "You need to have protein." You know, she said, I understand philosophically and, you know, politically and so on that you want to steer clear of, of certain food items, but, you know, you really need protein. Well, he went back to meat like a fish takes to water. So that was easy. Um, but he, he and his girlfriend are very healthy, very healthy eaters. Um, and they live in a lovely home uh, just outside Philadelphia in a nice, quiet suburban neighborhood. And you know, he's just living his life. That's so wonderful. Well, it's, believe me, it amazes me every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, all that hard work, all of that intuitive, um, energetic and and um, alternative and all of that just adds up to, you know, overcoming that dragon. So good for you. That's so exciting to hear. It's such a great story. And I think it'll give a lot of people hope that, you know, even when a, a baby and a child, you know, has something very scary to be dealt with, you've showed people it can be dealt with, that it can be overcome, that you don't have to believe the prognosis. So yeah, I think you just have to be open-minded and try different things. I mean, I, so in, in my book, I talk about the five modalities that, that you and I've already talked about. Mm. There were other things that I tried. There's a woman um, who was married to a British airline pilot. And so she spent a lot of time in England and she learned about brushing, which is taking a baby brush and brushing, I believe this is right, upwards on the spine from the sacrum up to the neck. And, um, you know, it was very gentle. He giggled, you know, and she asked if she could practice on him. And I thought, well, it's not going to do any harm. It's not going to hurt him. And uh, actually, there's a story behind this because he only got treated by her once. And by the way, brushing is very popular in England. Um, but uh, and what it does is it, is it connects the neural pathways all the way up the spine. Hmm. So if there are any nerves that aren't communicating with each other, which, of course, with his spina bifida could have been a possibility. He was how old was he? He was about I think he was just turning three at that point. Um, yeah, because we'd already moved to Frederick. So I was already separated from his dad. So he was probably right around three. He had never jumped. He huh. had never once jumped. And kids start jumping around two, if not before. And once they figure out jumping, they usually jump like crazy because it's so much fun. He had never jumped. And I didn't really, you know, things like that didn't really click for me because I had so much on my mind. Mm. But after this one treatment, he started to jump. Interesting. And not only that, he was like a two-year-old learning to, he was like, look, mommy, I, you know, I can jump, I can jump. And he started jumping all the time. Oh my gosh. It's just, it's, it, you know, there are things like that that happened that I, um, you know, you just wonder, is that why he jumped? I don't know. You yeah. Know, there's a, there's a hip anomaly that goes along with spina bifida. They, they kept wanting to x-ray his hip, which I didn't allow them to, but they kept wanting to, to make sure he didn't have this hip anomaly. The osteopath put his hip back in place. Is that why he didn't need hip surgery? Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how to answer 
really any of these questions beyond my need to feel comfortable that, you know, if you bring in enough different approaches, and actually the homeopath said that at one point, um, I had a Zoom with a bunch of friends and family and invited her and she said, Lindsay, the reason this works so well is because you used all five approaches. Mm, okay. And of course, she was only in charge of one of them. But she said, you you went at the body from all these different angles. And that's why he's he's so miraculously well. Yeah. So you went through acupuncture, osteopathy, the herbalist, the homeopathy. What was the fifth one? Nutrition. And the nutrition. Okay. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And in no particular order, just how right. it came up, how it was recommended or what have you. Right. I, I would also caution people, because I know with cam with cancer, this has got to happen. Um, I butted heads with doctors from time to time. When Russell was old enough to go to the adult CF clinic at Johns Hopkins, um, he, you know, he didn't want me to go. Well, he said, mom, isn't that the point of an adult clinic? So I thought, oh, okay, fine. I can't go. And I love to go because I love to ask a lot of questions. But anyway, I refrained from going and he came back and he let me know that he had asked the doctor, is all this alternative stuff doing any good? You know, acupuncture and nutrition, all these pills I'm taking. And the doctor apparently said, well, I don't know that it'll do you any harm, but you know, there's no proof that any of it will help. And I sat with that for 24 hours. Russell went back to school. He was in high school at that time. I said nothing to him. And I thought, I'm going to give that doctor what for. And I, you know, I didn't want to because it was Russell's doctor, but I had to. And I called him up. He took my call. And I said, look, <laughs> I said, you don't begin to know the, de the detail about all the alternative healing that I've done with him. You don't even know about my observations and the provider's observations about his recovery in terms of his vitamin E level or his electrolytes or his growth or whatever. And I said, if you want me to be your partner in this and support him taking the antibiotics, and at that point he had he had um, prescribed Polmazine, which was a new, again, this is um, a long time ago, 15 years ago, um, a new drug for the for the lungs. I said, if you want me to be your partner and support him to do the things that you've asked him to do, you need to show me the same respect. And he was so gracious. This was a guy who was head of the CF clinic. He was like, um, oh, he was like Michael Jordan of lung transplants. He did <laughs> lung transplant transplants on babies. I mean, oh, wow. th this guy was a superior physician. But he would, you know, he was very humble and he said, I'm I apologize and I, I will not undermine you at all going forward. Wow, that's awesome. So, you know, yeah. And, you know, Russell was what? He was probably 16, 17 at that point. It takes a long time to build that muscle, you know, where you can say, look, I don't care how many degrees you have on the wall. I don't care how brilliant you are. I don't know how much smarter you are than I am. I have my own agenda here and we need to work together. And if we right. can't work together, then we won't work together. Well, and it's so important for those of us with the diagnosis to, to really stand up for ourselves and advocate for ourselves because nobody knows our body like we do. And of course, exactly. you having dealt with this with Russell for 16 years and being so instrumental in, in getting him to that point certainly had a lot of, of investment in it and knew him better than any doctor ever could. So 
yay you for standing up for yourself and for taking the 24 hours to cool off a little and then make that phone call. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I maybe could have taken another 24 hours, but anyway, (laughs) it was an important call. Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, it took years for me to build up the confidence because I started out with no medical understanding of how the body functions at all. I had to, you know, learn all of that. And in my profession, because I was dealing with clinics and the healthcare system and hospitals and so on, you know, it got a little bit easier over time because I was getting fed a lot of information from different directions. But it is very important that you trust your observations and your, your physical sensations if you're the person who's sick. Yep. What makes you feel good? What makes you feel worse? And And to give things time, because sometimes in the beginning, there will be no sign of anything like, well, that didn't make any difference. I've heard so many people say that about acupuncture. And my reaction is, you know, it takes a full year. It takes going through all four seasons to really feel the impact of acupuncture. And, you know, it's a it's a novel view of things as alternative healing is. And by the way, that's the other reason that I that I titled it Embracing the Dragon, because the dragon represents a symbol of healing. In Chinese medicine. Oh, I didn't so know. For that. me, it symbolized both the the terror of his disease, but also, you know, the the gift of alternative healing, which, which in China, by the way, is not alternative, <laughs> right? Right. Acupuncture is conventional. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, this has been amazing, Lindsay. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience before we wrap up? Well, I would I would in, encourage people to go to my website if they're interested in learning more. Um, it's a it's an easy link. It's my name, lindsaybean.com. And uh, of course, my book is for sale on the website. And the reason I wrote the book is that I wanted people to have access to our story. And the doctors, the conventional doctors, never took it seriously. You know, all the way up to Johns Hopkins, they. They gave it no weight at all. They were amazed at Russell's health, but they didn't take it seriously. So I do have a book available. Um, I also have a children's book, which I've written. Yeah, so um, tell us a little bit about that one. <laughs> well, I I, I want to write a series. I haven't um, written more than one yet, but it's a, it's a book that is targeting the children in your family that are not sick. Mm. So one of the things I wish I had had as a tool as a mom was a way of eliciting emotions and thoughts of my older son, who was very healthy, but also living under the, you know, the shadow of this dragon. Mm-hmm. And um, so this book is a book for children, little children, three to eight, and parents to read together to just sort of pull it out. You know, maybe you feel angry sometimes, maybe you feel jealous sometimes maybe you feel guilty you know and of course the words may need to be broken down a little bit more simpler for a very young child but it's just to get everybody talking so that so that the family you know because any of these diagnoses whether it's for an adult or for a child it impacts everybody yeah it impacts absolutely everybody sure what was the name of that book again Um, This book is called My Brother Wins Every Eating Contest. It's about cystic fibrosis. And there's a little boy, Sam, whose little brother, Joey, has cystic fibrosis. I had this wonderful, wonderful illustrator who I um, am so grateful. You know, he did beautiful drawings of of inhalers and 
respirator, oh, so you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those are both available on my website and people can also email me if they want to. I have a, you know, place to contact me on the website. I, I really enjoy talking to people about our story and if it can be helpful to anyone to hear any part of it, I'm more than happy to spend time. That's wonderful. And thank, thank you, you we'll put, so much. We'll put all that info in the show notes so people can easily find you and your website and your books. And thank you so much, Lindsay, for being with me today for the podcast. Thanks it was for having so great. me, Carla. Yeah, of course. So great to hear more about Russell's healing story. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Radical Remission Project, Stories That Heal podcast. Once again, I'm Kelly A. Turner, PhD, cancer researcher and founder of the Radical Remission Project. If you found today's episode inspiring, we encourage you to share it with anyone you think would benefit. If you'd like more information about the Radical Remission Project or would like some support bringing the 10 Radical Remission healing factors into your own life, visit us at RadicalRemission.com to find a certified Radical Remission Health Coach or to learn about an upcoming Radical Remission Workshop. And if you'd like to connect with Liz or Carla directly for health coaching, you can visit RadicalRemission.com forward slash about us. Most importantly, be sure to like, share, and please, please, please review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Your reviews are what allow us to keep finding sponsors and sponsors are what allow us to keep bringing you these podcasts. So thank you in advance for your reviews. One last thing, would you like to be on our podcast? If you're a radical remission survivor who's been in remission for at least three years, meaning that you either have stable or dormant disease or perhaps even no evidence of disease, you can contact us at radicalremission.com forward slash podcast. The Stories That Heal podcast is a production of the Radical Remission Project and Cat Productions, hosted by Liz Curran and Carla Mansgeroux, produced by Ryan Giroux, music by Batchbug. Follow the Stories That Heal wherever you get your podcasts.